Welcome to the Making Sense of MarTech podcast and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech weekly newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers the important shifts in marketing technology and the people who read it work in the largest media tech and advertising companies. So you can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I am joined by Jessica Box. She is the head of growth at a fast-growing startup called Linktree, and she's also the managing director at Girls in Tech Australia. So Jess actually has a really long and storied career in tech in Australia, and it actually led her to her most recent role managing growth for one of Australia's fastest-growing tech companies with over 15 million users and counting, but they've added 5 million users only in the past few months. And so they have a huge global audience. They have a massive customer base. And today we talk about one thing that Linktree is focusing on, which is the creator economy and how content and media is becoming more diversified across the internet and what ways um, new companies are trying to meet the challenges that creators are facing and Linktree's role in that as well. And so now I give you Jessica Box. Hi, very excited to be here and to be chatting about all the fun things in MarTech, a big passion of mine. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, thanks for jumping on board. So tell us about your career a little bit. How did you actually get into managing growth for Linktree? What is a growth marketing role look like? It's pretty new. And what inspired you to work in the tech industry? Yeah, for sure. We have to wind all the way back to the very beginning, which is um, always fun. I, I remember at school, um, actually, all, all the way back to then, yes, when I was in high school, maybe even primary school, um, I spent a bit of time kind of looking at like the subject mix that I did, which if, if you look back now is kind of classic person that would go into tech with, you know, a mix of science and then a mix of creative. But at the time it was so unwell unknown as an industry for people to go into that I remember meeting with my career counselor at the time and he just said oh you should be a doctor or a lawyer and I left that conversation going well I don't want to do either of those so where do I fit and what do I go and do and and at the time I was very deep into performing arts funnily enough and I was dancing five days a week and traveled the world for different performances um, across the U.S. and in Australia so just ended up going into that because that's what I was passionate about but Funnily enough, fast forward to where I am now, all of that kind of knowledge around storytelling and, and I guess communicating and how important that is across a tech company underpins where I am today. And, and from there, I went and did a master's, but evolved into landing um, deep in, in deep tech at a digital agency that specialized in very much like big platform implementation. So it was thrown into the world of the Magentos at the time and Salesforce and big enterprises like Twitter and Lexus. Um, learned a lot there around products and I guess how products work, but um, found myself more interested in building products from scratch and kind of exp the experimentation frameworks that come around that and finding, you know, the ways that products can become viral and, and what that looks like and, and the different kind of approaches that come come with that and business models. So I went into fintech land for a while, which was was a lot of fun, a lot of regulatory hoops for someone in growth um, to jump through, <laughs> which I enjoyed learning about, but um, ultimately kind of led to me wanting to go into something a little bit less controlled in a regulatory space and found Linktree, which feels to me like the intersection of all of those things, a lot of the creativity that Linktree was founded on through into, you know, 
the the product and how it's surfacing um, value for everyone across the internet. And then growth in and of itself, I've very much put the function, which is very emerging in Australia and, and you know globally still as well, between brand and product um, for a reason, because we are a product-led growth business. We need to be able to strategically work with the product team to prioritize the right things to ensure that our growth stays at the same speed and momentum while also working with brand in how we're positioned and and um, articulating that to the market across experiments optimization personalization and all these words that everyone listening in will know but i think that's probably the unique thing that we did that's working really well and uh yeah looking at kind of you know how we expand that out globally and and, and put different boots on the ground in each market to help multiply that. So I think that probably answers some of the things and hopefully what inspired me to get into tech, but what's kept me in tech is very much that connection into being able to make an impact on people's lives with the products and services that you can offer on the internet and do it in a meaningful way. Like, you know, big tech is going down a particular path and, you know, we're, we're trying to find a way to do it with, with a product that has an impact ongoing in people's lives as well. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's really inspiring. It reminds me a little bit of my own story about 10 years ago. I used to do high school programs. So I used to go in and, and do short, you know, 15 minute talks with high school students uh, about oh, wow. and, stuff. and I can to- totally see how there's this really interesting connect between how you communicate or the things that you're passionate about and building those skills out in how you would potentially scale through software and products and, and tech. And it sounds like it's been quite a similar journey, uh, but really, it sounds like sort of on the second half, they're really focusing on building like really scalable tech and managing big platforms and then being able to connect that back to purpose, which we're going to talk about today, which is the creator economy. Um, mm. So a, a few stats here. So over the past 12 months, Linktree has grown significantly. There's a few statistics throwing about like adding a million users a month. You know, there's so much growth happening at Linktree and the company, really what it is, is is it helps people link towards their content, whichever platform that they're on. So you can link to YouTube, you can link to your podcast. If you're on Discord, you can link to that. I've used it personally to link to my newsletters. I've used it to link to my podcast. And so it's a really great solution to help, I guess, give that real uh, timeliness towards the content that you're working on and giving to your audience in that moment. And so additional to that, there's been a number of fundraising rounds as well. So recently there was a $45 million round. Um, that's fueling growth. You guys are going into a number of new markets as well, which is really cool. But I guess there's this big conversation happening in the industry at the moment about the creator economy. And really what that all that is about is a lot of people now are seeing, and you just highlighted that before, Jess, that uh, big tech has been kind of using a lot of people's content to monetize their own companies, you know, so they, you know, you publish things on Facebook or you add stories to Instagram, maybe you do live streaming on YouTube, that all feeds into the business model of those big tech companies. But the creator economy flips that on its head and says, well, why not, can't we just pay creators for the amazing work they do? And this is kind of where Linktree feeds into this because there's one really great product that actually helps power the creator economy by helping people link through commerce and a whole bunch of different things. And so I'd love to hear from you, Jess. How do you think Linktree has evolved over the past year, particularly with the emergence of the creator economy and how it's become more of a mainstream thing, I guess you could say? And what has been some of the considerations along the way? 
Yeah, it's so interesting. Since the pandemic started, we've actually grown from 4 million users at the start of the first lockdown way back in March last year, I think it was, to now over 15 million with an average of 30,000 signups per day, which is just astronomical growth on the platform. So, you know, the past year has really shown to us how important it is for brands and creators in particular to create this cohesive online message and, and simplify that discovery of content like you were talking to before with your use of Linktree, which is nice to hear you're enjoying the platform. Um, and I think what, what that's done is, you know, we might have started as, as a link in bio tool and creating that category to solve a problem, but over time Linktree has evolved and, and, you know, the platform has become this social identity layer I guess of the internet for users where you are what you put on your link tree and and that is your online identity and you're centrally able to change that whenever you need to and you know we talked about those you know the big companies that obviously Linktree loves to partner with and support in, in the Facebooks and the um, Instagram and the TikToks to help drive you know the audience engagement there but what we're aiming to solve and, and support creators is in this centralization of who they are and what they do and we've introduced you know new customization features video link options streaming embeds and and more to be able to allow all of our audience um, to extend their brand beyond just you know what you might see on a website but sell more to those audiences wherever they are and grow and connect more deeply um, across that ecosystem i would say that there's a really interesting um, concept there around a creator identity which mm. you touched on and it, it seems as though the typical website is a kind of an old way of doing that. Like mm. the way in which content and media is now dispersed throughout the internet, it is becoming, I would say, far more freeform. So creators, I'm not sure if you've heard of this concept, but the multi-skew creator. So a skew, yeah. SKU is, you know, a product, right? Or, you know, a shoe, a, a pair of shoes is an is SKU. And it's taking a, a concept from e-commerce and actually putting that into the creator economy and saying, well, look, most creators are, have they multi-skew creators? You know, they have a podcast. Maybe they do some consulting. They also have a blog. Maybe they have a Substack newsletter as well. And so because your creators are working with so many different platforms, it's very interesting to see how Linktree is stepping up and rising to the challenge of supporting those people who are actually producing content across different channels and across different platforms in a way that's actually really coherent and creates and forms this identity for that particular person in a way that a website potentially can't. But I guess, I mean, was there a point throughout last year or previous years where, where you guys have actually sat down and thought, okay, actually creator economy is something that's happening. It's unavoidable. And we're actually going to just move our business towards that direction. Was there a conversation or a story there around how you guys decided to really move into this area um, initially? Do you know what? There was actually, there was a few conversations, but I think we were already creating this space for creators before the term creator economy emerged and it's it's a it's a focus that we've had as a as a product-led business on solving problems so if you solve problems you naturally form you know 
a product around the trends that occur. So in 2020 and, you know, beyond into now as we're coming out and going back out into the world, there was more and more people pursuing their side projects and this multi-skew um, approach that you were talking to very much leans into that. And I love that. It's a, e-commerce would, would hate probably the progression away from that. But, uh, it's great. And what started, you know, as a hobby or people had these ideas in the back of their head have become, you know, a viable way for making a living. And these newly found creators, I guess, that didn't necessarily know this word creator existed, but they often lacked digital literacy and particularly in different industries like, you know, health and wellness is an emerging one. We see a lot of different industries on the on Linktree that may not have necessarily come from a digital literacy background. And so we see it as our responsibility to nudge them along that life cycle and, and you know, bring to the forefront monetization tools like the commerce links that we've just released. And, um, you know, we, we're ready and there to support their needs and, and exceed them where we can in that regard. And I think I'm not sure it would be accurate to say we focus solely on the creator economy because every day we see more and more people use the platform in ways that we couldn't have thought about the day before. Um, and I think that is a big, a big, a big focus for for us as a company is to be for everyone and for everyone to have their place on the internet. So while the creator economy is emerging, we're here supporting those that want to have a place on the internet. So there's this natural synergy across it in the sense that you know people will eventually want to monetize their passions or what they're doing, but you know better managing all their online identities, their beliefs, their ideas, their passions is equally as important to us, I guess. I want to dig into some of those beliefs and ideas and passions um, for a little bit. But before I get there, I guess that this concept of digital literacy is, is really interesting to me because, you know, mm. think of like companies like Roblox, so they're kind of like a Minecraft, you know, but they allow people to create their own digital worlds inside of a game. And the way it works and the way the company monetizes is actually by selling the games that people create within their platform. And, you know, it sort of touches on this idea of the metaverse where, you know, you can kind of create your own games and your own world and you can monetize it. But you have teenagers who are effectively using these tools to scale up to literally selling things for millions of dollars. And so you have this really digitally literate Gen Z that's coming up and they've always grown up with the internet we know. Whereas perhaps our generation, you know, I'm particularly myself, you know, I was, I didn't start using the uh, computer until I was like 10 years old. So, you know, there's a whole new generation that are very digitally literate. They know how these platforms work, but a lot of them don't know how to code. And I think that's a really interesting problem to solve. And where Linktree is stepping in is being able to give everybody the tools to be able to host their own content in a way that's really easy. Um, again, it's quite timely as well but not having to learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, or how to use something like a Squarespace or a WordPress creator just to get online and to have somewhere to host all their links and all of their content. And so it's quite an interesting space that Linktree are working in, and it's really helping support people that are really fantastic creators. They want to get online, but they struggle to know how to start and actually get into it. And so I guess it'd be really good to get your vantage point because we did call out before, there's about 15 million people in the Linktree ecosystem. And across the world, there's so many different ways in which people are creating. What is your view? How are people are creating? What are some of those interesting stories that, that you've heard in the office of people um, creating things that you would never anticipate and then promoting them through Linktree? 
Yeah, um, that's a wonderful question. I think before we jump in, I want to reflect on the times before the internet was <laughs> democratised and accessible. I think I was about 11 or 12 also and running, you yeah, know, well. an internet cord through the house to try and uh, <laughs> connect online, which is gone in those days, thankfully. <laughs> um, uh, I think, yeah, this we are in a really fortunate position where we have a user in every single country around the world. So we're able to see the trends that are occurring in different countries and how they begin to I guess grasp this world that we're living in where it's not a fad but an absolute tectonic shift in the direction towards this everything as a service model which um, we've been calling it more and more because you know SaaS is was one part of it but it's now everything and the way we approach services changed dramatically so you know some countries have lower limitations for those who wish to pursue a, a career or a passion online. And, and these are usually the first ones to thrive in a new, in this new paradigm. And we see Brazil, Indonesia, now India, many of these emerging countries, you know, that are able to jump on Linktree and have a place to, to represent themselves and be who they are. And then there's other countries who use more restrictions with individuals who earn their living outside of, you know, the employer-employer traditional relationship that, you know, may discover they need to quickly adapt to change in, in the world that's going on right now. And this, you know, digital literacy is leaning into them. And I think the challenges are real when looking at the creator economy from a regulatory point of view as well, or even, you know, a taxation one. If I'm a creator, who, you know, travels the world and creates from anywhere, what type of visa do I need to enter a country and what does that look like and do I pay taxes in that country or my home or both and you know so on and there's all these things that you know haven't been considered yet but as the creator economy becomes more and more of a driving force behind the overall digital economy I believe we'll see more creativity from countries who wish to leverage you know this opportunity and, and invite citizens and residents to grow and evolve and, and changing the model within the way that we work which you know the I guess the pandemic has enabled and propelled and sped up, but may have already been coming, um, you know, and, and we've just, you know, got around it now. <laughs> There's kind of two things happening because, you know, for more than a decade now, we've kind of lived in the worlds of uh, Facebook, Google, Amazon, and all the wonderful benefits of that you know, being able to fulfill and ship products through Amazon, being able to create an audience that you would never be able to create before on, on some on platforms like Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram. It's led to so many great opportunities for people like from the Martech Weekly, I would have nowhere near the audience I have without social media platforms. But, mm. but the, I guess the trade-off on that is a couple of things. So you trade off on data. Have you ever tried to take your TikTok audience and then put it over to Instagram? You know, <laughs> not possible. There's uh, so the data and portability, actual insights from your audience and what they like and don't like. It's very restricted, but also the attention that you can actually generate off your content. And um, I talked about this in a, a previous podcast and in the sense that really for a lot of these social platforms, the algorithm has to decide and that it just has to be that way. But in the creator economy, you know, we're seeing that people are actually just going direct. So building email lists, creating their own communities, creating their own uh, Discord servers and all these different ways, which are actually trying to create a direct relationship with their audience. And it kind of makes sense, you know, because if you don't really know your audience and it's very hard to create for them, it's really hard to get them to participate in community as well. And so um, you have this, so you have this reaction and I've seen this over the past 12 months in that, okay, like those big social platforms, you know, they're companies and they're aggregating everybody together 
Um, we're going to move away from that. We're going to look at blockchain. We're going to look at cryptocurrencies. And we're going to build decentralized networks where it's actually owned by the people and there's no corporation that manage it. So um, DEFI, familiar with that. So decentralized finance and decentralized companies, and NFTs, of course, non-fungible tokens. We're all part of this, what's called a Web3 type movement. But the thing that I find quite interesting is that all of that stuff is so complicated, Jess. Like it is really hard to figure out. Like I, cre I created my own NFT and tried to sell it. And when I told my audience, hey, I made this NFT, they're like, why can't I use Australian dollars to buy it? Why do I need, what's mm. a MetaMask? What's a crypto wallet? Like what are all these things? And it's so confusing. And the reason for that is because it's still very nascent and it's still very much in that Genesis state of iteration and learning and people trying things and it's very technical still. But what I really like about Linktree, just coming back, is that you guys have always provided a simple solution for participation in the digital economy. Like it mm. is, you know, you just sign up once, use your email address, no more information than that. No collecting, no connecting a crypto wallet, no connecting this or that by having a code or anything like that. It's very easy to just set up and start participating in this economy. And so I'll be interested to get your view on that in that it's, it seems to me like Linktree is giving the solution for participation, but without all the technical overhead um, that you would need for that sort of decentralized economy that I just spoke about. Um, so mm. Yeah, so interesting. I think we've got a big, we've got one eye on NFTs for sure. And what that means for the creator economy, given we're talking about creator economy today is there's a huge opportunity in that ecosystem. And one of our partners, which we just launched with um, Spring actually, have, have started offering this type of functionality for their products, which you can then sell on your link tree. And I think what, you know, where Linktree has come from is, you know, centralizing this fragmented ecosystem that is your audiences and where they exist. And so, you know, if you went to go and build a website, you know, I'm sure you could figure it out, but the cost alone and, and you know, the time and energy that it goes into building something like that, then you may as well have already got online with the Linktree and so many other, you know, platforms in the ecosystem that facilitate different things at that scale. I think it's actually a big reason we launched the Passion Fund, which was in partnership with Square um, a couple of weeks ago around you know, the, this commerce link functionality that we've launched and, and the passion fund is a way for us to directly contribute to, you know, creators or people in the creator economy to helping solve this problem of getting started. So, you know, the fund is giving all the different types of communities, activists, entrepreneurs, this cash boost to turn their dreams into a reality because it is so hard and so fragmented and, you know, all this knowledge that you may need um, doesn't necessarily exist in that learning curve that you go on when you start may actually, you know, hold you back in terms of realizing this passion. But yeah, what we're aiming to do with it is to give, you know, give the uh, recipients of the fund access to a global audience and we have five core criteria values actually that are across creativity innovation personality vision and adaptability which I really love because you know you go you think about VC funds they don't necessarily look at a business in their portfolio that way and same with you know grants um, that you know have really lengthy application processes but what we want to do is actually just hear from the people and there's like a, a video recording component, which is a huge element of, you know, seeing is believing and getting behind these different businesses and supporting them in the way that, you know, Linktree as a product has has done to come back to your point around, you know, the, the ease with which you can get online. It's the same with which, you know, we want to be able to support these businesses to, to get off the ground as well. 
Yeah, it's really interesting that the passion fund and it's unique because a lot of the time when it comes to VCs and doing like angel rounds or seed rounds, there's always a really big risk flag for venture mm. capitalists, for people who are creators and they're building a business around their personality, because if something happens to them, then everything stops. So it actually means like I've spoken to a number of people who actually, they run newsletters and they're the main voice in their newsletter. And mm. they say, look, it's, it's actually hard to get investment because if one goes away, then there's no more business. Nobody can really easily take it up, pick it up. But that's why it's, it's quite fascinating to me, the passion, the passion Fund, because it's actually helping to support and boost those people who are just getting off the ground, giving them the, I guess, a leg up and access to audience and in a way in which a VC probably never would do. So really cool. I know that there's a number of people collaborating on that project and it's awesome seeing Square involved as well. Um, so, I mean, looking at, I guess, Linktree as a product, we did mention a couple of things that are happening across e-commerce, enabling uh, things like donations as well through Linktrees, being able to sell select products, some pushback to Linktree as well. So some people would say, well, look, it's not really a website. It's not a social platform like a Substack. It's kind of like this middleware, what I kind of call a sort of like a last mile fulfillment for your links and your content. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at Amazon and how they fulfill product, they'll, they'll ship something to a major city for a customer that would end up in a distribution warehouse. And then the last mile is that literally the last mile in which that product is delivered. And that's the most crucial mile as well. That's the time, that's where the timeliness aspect of most every delivery um, is calculated. And Linktree almost functions in that way. It's like the last mile. So, you know, it's not hard to update. You can add things like, you know, I've even seen a few examples of RSS feeds. So you can feed in content as it is being published into your Linktree for those links and those resources. And so it becomes this really timely way in which content can be updated on the fly without any overheads. It could be self-managed uh, by that person. It doesn't take um, really any skills at all to get up and running and, and continue to produce content in this way. And so what would you say to people, I guess, who are saying, well, look, if you have a link tree, why don't you just get a website instead? What, what, what kind of problem are you guys trying to solve that's not can't really be solved by a website? This is a fun one. Um, I think that the space link tree plays in. So we enable brands, artists, publishers, agencies, creators, small businesses, and to come back to what I said before, pretty much everyone to represent themselves online. And a user's link tree is truly their own. Um, it doesn't highlight what an algorithm might like you to see. It outlines what's most important to that user. It guides their audience to all the destinations they care about and can be updated in, in real time. And I think a website can do that to ex an extent, but our product philosophy is about simplifying complexity and focusing on features and, and call to actions that easily facilitate a connection point between you know, the millions of customers that exist in a social audience or any kind of audience, you know, in a physical space now we have QR codes and the products, resources and content that they need. So it's, very much about disrupting the traditional conversion funnel and, and pushing users to that final destination as fast as possible while making it easy for them to come and go because, you know, they're in TikTok, they're in Twitter, but they, and they may not necessarily want to leave that platform. They want to come back to that experience. So removing all of that friction that exists and going off to a website and going down a vortex and looking for something that, you know, you may not be able to find very quickly. 
And we see this kind of fragmentation problem being solved by Linktree in, you know, all the different platforms and ecosystems that exist online yeah. and the square spaces of the world, you know, do a great job at, at, you know, having a one page that represents, you know, more volumes of content, but not necessarily on, on the conversion front in, you know, pushing people to the things that you want them to see and, and, and enjoy that experience of, you know, who you are online. Yeah, it's even asking the question of, do you even need a website to promote yourself? For a lot of small business owners, you know, they, they kind of come to the, the problem of the internet and they say, oh, I need a website. That's the first thing I need. And then they go spend all this money and then maybe they get a developer and they charge them thousands of dollars and they've got a website, but like, what am I going to do with this website? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really go anywhere. Whereas I think you guys are really disrupting that paradigm of you'd actually probably don't need a website in a lot of, in a lot of scenarios. You know, like um, I even was looking at the other day, Twitter, Twitter's um, adding a super follow feature so you can directly pay people. They just added tip, tipping as well to their platform. So you, so if you're a creator and you're doing Twitter threads all the time, people can pay you directly into that platform. I think the platforms themselves, particularly around social, uh, they're moving towards enabling um, greater flexibility for payments for people who are producing content on those platforms. And so when you look at that, websites used to be the hub of e-commerce. Like it used to be the place where you would, um, yeah, you would actually ask people to provide a credit card and pay for things, whether it be content or eBooks or courses or whatever it is. But it's actually moving away from that. And I would say that commerce, commerce in particular is just ubiquitous. It's going everywhere. You know, yeah. it's in every, like if you look at China, you know, you don't need to leave a super app to buy something. You don't need to go to a website from a social feed, a social post, to actually go and buy or uh, subscribe to something. It all happens within one platform. And you kind of start seeing that. E-commerce e is just everywhere now. And it's not, the paradigm shouldn't be, oh, let's build a website. Maybe it's, you just need somewhere to actually direct that content to your audience in a way that's timely. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, to come back to commerce in particular, I think it, 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 there's another layer to this with Linktree that, you know, there is still friction in commerce in every channel you represent. And so that's why, you know, commerce links and a big one being the support me link functionality exists across platforms. So if you have an audience on Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitch, any platform, you're able to kind of centralize that tipping functionality. And I think it is a further nod to what you're saying around, you know, commerce being anywhere at any time and being able to, you know, support those creators and then coming back to our creator conversation today, support the creators wherever they are on the internet is more and more important every day. And, you know, this website concept you know buries that and maybe we're kind of hanging on to the website because it has been you know <laughs> this one thing that gets you set up and you are like an established business when you have a website but is it actually adding value anymore and are we kind of you know just adding an extra layer into the you know purchase flow that just creates friction for audiences where now we have you know these big mammoths in the tiktoks and and the instagrams that have audiences you know transacting within them maybe we're looking at the start of the death of the website who well, knows <laughs> that would be uh that would be a massive paradigm ship i think jess but i actually think that we're probably ready for it as well. i would say that yeah it's it's, I think it's time to have a look and, and think about the place of the website within your marketing mix and whether or not you even need one. But I guess I want to ask you about where do you think 
this thing that we're calling the creator economy is going. What's your insight into, I guess, the future of this? Where do you guys actually see Linktree participating in years to come? Do you guys have like a vision or an end state of something where you're actually thinking, oh, we actually want to get to this point as this creator economy concept grows? Yeah, there's, it's, you know, it's a nice segue from the, the website discussion. There's billions of users that, you know, we can have an impact on the internet and then trillions of dollars worth of value in the internet and economy that can be unlocked with Linktree. And that is one exciting element, but what really motivates us is this idea of, I guess, self-expression and how everyone can have their own place on the internet. And then us as a company can leave the internet a better place than we found it. And so, you know, in 2016, our founders created Linktree and, and ultimately a new sector that has evolved exponentially. And we've got a lot of, you know, copycats out there that are <laughs> trying to follow what we've done, but, you know, our aim is to continue to drive that change and, Investing in social commerce and is one big element around that and making it easier for millions of people around the world to transact with fewer clicks. And, you know, that adds to that layer of reducing friction and, and surfacing content at the right time for, for when people want to see it and, and having a place for the next generation of businesses and entrepreneurs to, to exist online and, and being that platform that they go to and, and build you know, the frameworks for their business and learn about how to, you know, nudge themselves along that digital literacy spectrum I touched on before around, you know, maybe they don't know anything about creating a business online, but they know a lot about the, you know, digital sector and, and natively digital, particularly, you know, Gen Z coming up. But that progression into, you know, what does this data mean that can help inform the decisions I make online is, is a big area that there's a lot of opportunity um, for as well. Yeah, I would say so. It, it's definitely, I think we're heading into a phase where the creator will probably, probably have more power than ever before. Um, but mm. consequently, it's also going to be harder than ever to be to build an audience as a creator, I think, as well. Like um, there's this fantastic quote I read the other day, and it's and it went along the lines of it's hard to build an audience, but it's never been easier. And mm. so the whole idea of like, you know, all of this, I think for a lot of people, all of this is so new you know, creating content, being able to scale it and, and reach millions of people. All of this is so, so new for people who are creating things online. And I would say that there's going to be greater maturity. I think products like um, uh, what you guys are doing with Linktree, um, I think that will continue to grow in maturity, but also I think platform dominance will probably subside a little bit and there'll be a very big realization of, hey, you actually need to pay people for what they're creating online. Web traffic, likes, shares, um, and comments, it's, it's not really money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like that classic joke of, you know, I'll, I'll pay you for some art design work and the payment will be an exposure. It's like, oh, come on, really? You know, I, I actually put a lot of effort into the work I do. So I, I would say that, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there that um, that the the whole total market for the creator economy is just starting. And it and I think it's definitely trillions of dollars of value there as well. Um, mm. Yeah, it's super interesting to think about, you know, iOS 14.5 and everything that's happening in the the world of Apple at the moment. Like what what's that going to do for this kind of next layer of understanding and, and providing, you know, the right content at the right time and the algorithms that have existed in the past. I think brands and, and ultimately this creator sector are going to have to get smarter 
in how they do things and to your point before audiences are not you know built in a day <laughs> um, and it's going to be even tougher to do some of that with you know the announcements that have come out but i think some really interesting smart things are going to come out of that because you know when problems are put in front of people generally that's when you know the most innovation happens um as we've seen time and time again <laughs> yeah that's great Awesome. So I want to quickly switch gears because we have a little bit of time, but I am very curious about your role with Girls in Tech Australia. So that organization is really about empowering and inspiring young women to enter the tech industry. Some A place that we both know is definitely needs more women representation. And so with currently, you know, in Australia and a lot of other nations with COVID have currently subsiding, there is a big talent squeeze because borders have been closed. Um, do you think that now is the time for a bigger push for female females to actually work into the tech industry? Are you seeing more more women come into this environment and want to learn coding or learn how to work in this in this industry? And um, and what have you actually seen? Yeah, we're we're very excited about the the future being female, as many of us like to say. Um, I think I, I think would say it it already is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've still got a long way to go. I mean, women were disproportionately impacted um, partic- globally, but also in Australia when the pandemic kicked off and many of, you know, the government support schemes actually kind of felt women run businesses and industries, you know, were fallen through and, and not supported in the way that, you know, they may have because many women, you know, it could have been on, you know, leave and not necessarily paid maternity leave with their companies and then couldn't necessarily come back into their business. So there's there's one component of that. But I think we are now, you know, at the crossroads where so many companies are doing great things in this space. And, and Girls in Tech in Australia, we're very much focused on the connection, empowerment, engagement for, for women getting into tech and, and supporting that journey across, you know, the first job through into you know maybe a mid-career transition we actually see a lot of women shifting from other industries into tech because they're seeing the opportunity here and I think I saw a stat of anyone that is an engineer has like at least eight job opportunities if they're in the market at the moment which is just ridiculous Um, so the demand is high regardless of gender let alone you know, for women who, who are engineers. But then, you know, you look into the senior end of the spectrum and there's a lot of women who are wanting to give back and, and be that place for, for you know, education, which is a lot of the reason I got into Girls in Tech. I, I was in a male-dominated industry and, and, you know, in tech consulting at the time, I think I was one of five women in the company. And so I saw firsthand how important it was to have diversity on products because, you know, I'm fortunate to be quite confident and then and voice my views that, you know, it took a lot to be able to kind of pump up the other women in my communities and, you know, help them have their voices be heard. So yeah, there's, there's lots of things around the inspiration side of things that you can't be what you can't see. And I think a component of what we do with Girls in Tech is, is that, but I think, touching on what you said around the, the borders being closed, there's a big opportunity for the government to really kind of double down and, and support this industry. I'm part of the Victorian Innovation Task Force, which is a fun name um, of essentially like people in the tech industry supporting the government from an advisory role of, you know, things that we can do. And one of the things that, you know, we all advocated for is this, you know, how do we make sure that both our talent overseas and 
you know, talent wanting to come into the country are being supported and that we're making it easier for them because as soon as you put barriers up, it's, you know, regardless of, of gender, tough to get people in. But in particular, how do we support women who want to be able to enter the country? And it's not necessarily, you know, when you have a box ticking exercise, you have like the skill shortage box that you want to tick versus looking at it holistically of maybe it's not just engineers, maybe we want product designers, maybe we want analysts, maybe we want, you know, growth people as, as I'm constantly looking for which is you know another challenge to overcome as well mm. and and you're so right jess in the sense that it's not just engineering and software development that the skills that are needed in australia um, it's a whole constellation of different roles that support that across product and growth marketing ux all of those different areas are actually what stand up software companies and tech companies and I would say that even today, something I say regularly in the newsletter is that, you know, every company is a software company now. Mm. Um, and so it's this, I, I think it's still, it's quite a strange dichotomy of you have tech companies sort of, you know, they're in Richmond and parts of Sydney, you know, <laughs> they're sort of pure yeah. tech businesses. And then you have every other business that's not a tech business where I actually say almost every company I work with, uh, they're using software. They're trying to harness software to build business value, create great customers' experiences. And it's no different from what you guys are doing at Linktree, no different from what the people over at that last scene are doing either. And so, yeah, I think it's a really fantastic perspective. You know, I really hope that out of this, that we have a huge wave of women coming into this industry, seeing the value of it across the spectrum, not just development or engineering, but then also participating. I mean, I follow some amazing women who are fantastic artists and, and live streamers across all kinds of different uh, verticals, gaming and things like that. And it, it just makes the whole industry richer um, because of it. So thank you for your perspective on that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I guess as just to finish up, where can we actually find you on the internet, Jess? Have you got a link tree? Oh, I was going to say my Linktree, of course. <laughs> um, so you can head to Linktree um, slash Jessica Box, which is my full name, and read all about what I'm up to at Linktree and Girls in Tech. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 a, a fun place to be in sitting at the intersection of both of those two. And Girls in Tech informs my, you know, day job at Linktree, as I like to call <laughs> as I like to call it when I've got my Girls in Tech hat on. And then vice versa, Linktree informs my side passion at Girls in Tech. So. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming aboard, making sense of MarTech podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome to chat.